1: Two pitch. Swing a Deep left. Way hey, everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are continuing our top 10 prospects podcast series today with the St. Louis Cardinals. And to do that, we are joined by JJ Cooper. JJ took over the Cardinals Handbook chapter this year, I've done it in previous years. We like to rotate team chapters around at VA, talk to different front office officials, get to know different players. JJ, the Cardinals consistently are one of the better, most competitive teams in baseball. They just wrapped up their 13th consecutive winning season, obviously a shortened season, but nonetheless, they still found themselves back in the postseason for the second straight year. I do have to ask, though, one of the things that's been slowly building with the Cardinals over the last couple of years is a lot of trades that are starting to look unfavorable. The Cardinals have done a really, really good job developing homegrown talent, drafting it, signing it internationally, bringing it up through the minors. But we've started to see them make some trades that, again, they're still a playoff team, but it becomes fair to wonder what their lineup would look like if they'd kept some of these players. Uh, Since the 2017 trade deadline, Among the players they've traded are Marco Gonzalez, Sandy Alcantara, Zach Gallen, Luke Voigt, Oscar Mercado, Tommy Pham, Randy Rosarena. Some of these trades you understand. Marcelo Zuna was a big bat. In order to get talent, you have to trade talent. Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen, you understand that one. The Paul Goldschmidt trade's another one. Again, they traded Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, and Andy Young. Again, you make that trade every day for a player like Paul Goldschmidt. But some of the other deals, they still have to play out. But as of this moment, there's a lot of frustration when you look at the fact that the Cardinals outfield today, if it had Oscar Mercado, Tommy Pham, and Randy Rosarena, would be a better outfield than they have and have them in a better position to contend right now. Again, these trades still have to play out. Matthew Libertor, who they acquired for Rosarena, is still in the minors. John Torres, who they acquired for Oscar Mercado, along with Connor Caples, and the low minors as well. Hennessy Cabrera has done some good things as part of the Tommy Pham trade return, but On the whole, to date, it does feel like the Cardinals have given up more talent than they've received. And that's especially true with the Luke Voigt trade. Giovanni Gallegos has been a very, very good reliever. uh, But Luke Voigt has become one of the premier sluggers in Major League Baseball. JJ, one bad trade or one player who got away does not sink a franchise. The Dodgers traded away Jordan Alvarez to the Astros, but they have so much talent elsewhere, it doesn't really matter. They're still a championship team. The White Sox traded away Fernando Tatis Jr. Again, they have so much talent, able to make up for it and still be one of the top young up-and-coming teams in the American League. The Astros released J.D. Martinez and still went on to win a World Series, albeit with some illicit help. But again, every team has a guy who got away, and you can overcome that with good scouting and player development like the Cardinals have. It starts to become an issue when it's three guys, four guys, five guys, six guys. And I do have to ask, when you look at the Cardinals, are they reaching that breaking point?
0: It it does add up. And I do think that the Cardinals absolutely have to be looking at themselves and investigating and saying, are we failing to properly evaluate our own talent? I, I think that's an absolutely fair and legitimate question there are players they have traded away. Luke Voigt, I I think, is the most notable one where you say, again, no one, let me make clear, no one in baseball at the time of the Luke Voigt trade, and I would include the Yankees in this, thought that that trade was, hey, we're getting a guy who may threaten for home run titles. No one thought that, but you do have to evaluate and look back at your process and say, "What, what did we miss there? But you hit on a lot of it, which is, this is partly comes back to the Cardinals are good every year. And if you're good every year, you often are trading prospects to acquire more established players. They've done that a lot. And the thing I'll say is, is and again, I the sense I get, Cardinals fans are angry right now. Cardinals fans are very angry about the state of this team, it feels like, especially for a team that... If you're a fan of 20 to 25 teams out there, you look at the Cardinals, you look at where the Cardinals are right now, but you also look at where the Cardinals have been this this century. And you say, sign me up for that, please. But you also look at this right now. Let's look at the NL Central. Who's the team who's running away from the Cardinals right now? If I'm looking at it at this moment and you said, who's my favorite for 2021? I would say, I don't look around the rest of the division and say there's a clear team that's heads and shoulders above the Cardinals. And if I look for 22 and 23, I don't know if there's a team. Do, do you have some, I mean, like to me, the Reds are clearly retrenching more than the Cardinals. The Cubs look like they may be retrenching more than the Cardinals and whether they retrench or not, the Cubs are hitting, the, the bill is coming due. They have a whole lot of free agents coming up. The Pirates are still a ways away. The Brewers kind of seem like that they're at kind of the, the end of their cycle. Who's the team in the
1: central who's running away from the Cardinals right now? There isn't one. And I think that's probably where the frustration stands because the Cardinals have had the best pool of homegrown talent of any of these teams. And this is a consistently good franchise. And I think that there's two things here that I find very promising. The first is John Moselak came right out and said at the end of October, quote, regarding the trade." I will own that. That's on me. You need to know your own players. We will revisit how we rank our own players and make sure that we don't have something like this happen again. The fact that they recognize it, they own up to it, and they're going to fix it is extraordinarily promising to me. I will take that answer 10 million times over Kevin Cash trying to excuse putting in Nick Anderson for Blake Stout. Okay, again, let's leave
0: that one behind because we can just disagree. But, but, but the point is yeah, there is... Yeah.
1: The point is you own up to your mistakes. And to me, that is so critical. And that's what differentiates great organizations from ones that will continue to repeat their mistakes and end up not winning what they probably should win. I think that if I'm a Cardinals fan, which just for the record, I'm not, I am extremely thrilled with, hey, our president of baseball operations owned up to it, said, we got to fix this. They recognize there's a problem here. That's first and foremost. And second, despite all this, Cardinals have had 13 straight winning seasons. They were in the NLCS two years ago. They had a COVID-19 outbreak that devastated their roster this year. Ten players, eight staff members. They didn't play for 19 straight days. And they still not only made the playoffs, yes, it was an expanded postseason, but even if the postseason didn't expand, they still would have made it in. They were the five seed. So all these trades have happened. All these moves have been made. Again, you have to give away talent to get a Paul Goldschmidt or a Marcel Zuna. There's no fault there on the Cardinals part. Some of the other ones you can look at and say, man, that really has not worked out. But despite all that, this is still a playoff contender. So for me, if I'm a Cardinals fan, you say, hey, we're still good. And now we have the head of our baseball operations saying, okay, we're going to fix this. To me, that's incredibly encouraging for the future because right now you're already good doing all these things. If you stop doing these things, hey, you might be great.
0: The other thing I do want to point out on that trade, and again, I understand that at this point, Randy Rosarena, it is going to be hard for Matthew Libertor to live up to Randy Rosarena. I, I get that. But that was a trade. They did not, at the time they traded to Rosarena, that was not viewed as, oh, clearly they just have lost all belief in a Rosarena and they're getting pennies on the dollar back for him. They traded for one of the better young pitching prospects in the game. Now, again, they probably end up losing that trade if Randy Rosarena produces in 2021 and beyond at oh, I don't know, 60% of what he did in September and October. But that's a trade that if Libertor comes out and is a middle of the rotation starter for them, you know, in 2022, three, four, five, six that trade becomes a lot better looking than it looks right now, because if you're the average Cardinals fan, if you're the average fan in baseball, you look at it and say, Randy Rosarena, great. And we got some guys I've never even, you know, noticed, you know, in return that trade was at the time I will own it. When I looked at that at the time, I thought that the Rays were giving up an awful lot for Randy Rosarena. And here we are a year later and we're talking about, you know, and again, they do need to say, well, we, we, we mis-evaluated Randy Rosarena, but, they did get Matthew Libertor in return in that, who is a top, an easy top 100 prospect, probably a top 50 prospect when we go into the next season.
1: I think the concern is more based on the fact the Cardinals have pitchers and they really, really lack outfielders. So while Matthew Libertor is undoubtedly a very promising young pitcher, this is a team with playoff dreams right now and having an impact everyday well, outfielder. Again, if you could line up Fam Mercado, and a Reina, you'd feel a lot better about your chances. I think that's where the angst comes okay. from.
0: The thing I'll say about that, though, is is that, and this is a problem that teams run into. I, I don't think that this was unique to the Cardinals. They had so many outfield prospects and young outfielders at the big league level a couple of years ago. And that is a great problem to have. But sometimes it ends up actually becoming a problem, I do think, because the problem you run into is if you have a prospect or two who are ready to break in, it's a pretty clear path. You basically, you, you open the, the door for one. You say here, Dylan Carlson, here's a role for you. And you know, Dylan Carlson started out slowly. They sent him back down. When he came back, he was much better. He was back and clean up for them in the playoffs. That's the kind of scenario that is kind of ideal for development of a young, you know, player in that Dylan Carlson knew it wasn't something where he was he had a if he had a bad week that he was going to get buried in the minors for the next you know two years, which they had enough of a surplus at one point that there was kind of some of that scenario. They, you had guys who were battling for playing time and who was going to be and where in the outfield in Double A AA and AAA because two years ago they had so many outfielders. They I think that one of the things they ran into problems there is, again clearly right now as it stands you would not say that you would ideally have picked Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dexter Fowler as, you know, the group and throw Dylan Carlson into that, who I think you would, that is not the optimal result. But I do think part of the problem is, is when you have, you have a tyranny of choice, where you have so many different guys to choose from, that it makes it harder to evaluate who you should keep and who you should jettison.
1: It's funny. I actually wrote this article, November 3rd, 2017, about how the Cardinals were poised to flood the outfield market, going through all the outfield options they have. And it's interesting looking back and seeing here's the guys they traded, here's the guys they kept. And look, again, I can't emphasize this enough. The fact that the Cardinals are as good as they are, despite some of these trades, I think is an incredible testament to their scouting, to their player development, to their front office stability. This is still one of the Better teams in baseball. This is a top half team in Major League Baseball. We've talked about it. They are absolutely right in the thick of things to win their division. They have one of the best young pitchers in baseball. They have some really, really good players in the lineup. Although, again, they haven't hit that well the last couple years. Again, I actually think it's, on the one hand, as we've talked about, I understand where the frustration comes from, and it is starting to add up the number of talented players that were former Cardinals that are currently now really, really good But they're still competitive, and I think that's a testament to who they've brought in, what they've built, and really just the Cardinal way. JJ, you talked about Dylan Carlson, but I actually want to hit on Matthew Libertor here. He's number two on our top 10 prospects list for the Cardinals. That's where you had him this year. It's where I had him last year when I did the list. This is what Cardinals fans want to know, because right now they are hurting in particular over the Randy or Rosa-Randa trade. What can Cardinals fans reasonably expect?
0: Uh, A left-handed compliment to Jack Flaherty. I mean, that's like the ideal. Now, again, that's a a very lofty, you know, that's probably his 80th percentile, you know, reaching, you know, 80th plus percentile of his, you know, array of possibilities for for Libertor. But this is one of the better young pitching prospects in baseball. He is much more of a pitcher than he is a thrower, which he he throws relatively hard, but he's never been a a flamethrower but he's always been able to pitch. He's always had that kind of, that knack to be able to spin a breaking ball, be able to locate a changeup. It's not just this, I'm gonna rear back. And I would also say with that, that the Cardinals, as you said, the Cardinals have pitching. The Cardinals have done a good job of developing. For one thing, the Cardinals have done a good job of developing high school pitchers. There's a lot of teams who can't. The Cardinals have done a very good job of that. Flaherty obviously being the most uh, prominent example in recent years. But the other thing I'll say with that is is that when we look over the course of a 162-game season or hopefully 162, maybe it's 150, maybe it's 140, whatever it is, in 2021, one of the things I do think that stands out with that is, is that as good as the Cardinals' pitching is, they didn't get as good a pitching as you would expect from them last year. This was not Flaherty's best year by any stretch. Dakota Hudson, you know, went down, you know, Kwang Young Kim was better than you could have, that anyone could have expected. But this is a team that, that actually I do think comes into 21, you know, Adam Wainwright still kind of sitting out there on the free agent market as we record this. There are more questions about this starting rotation than there probably have been for a little while. And I don't think Libertor is ready to help on day one with that, but we're trying to wrap our heads around, okay, so you have a guy who, we're we're kind of making this up as we go along for everyone in baseball. Like, okay, his last, his highest experience so far is the Midwest league, which would seem to say he's far, far away, but how do you count an alternate training site, you know, and all that? Like, I expect that he probably goes into the season ready for double A, has a good, you know, start to the season, good second. You know, he might be a late addition to this rotation, even late in 21, although I'd say 22 is probably more likely.
1: You hit on something interesting here about when he's going to be ready, some of the holes the Cardinals need filled. Yadier Molin is a free agent. Colton Wong was not tender to contract. Adam Wainwright is a free agent. Three cornerstones of the Cardinals teams, really, for most of the 2010s, and they might not be back. Matt Carpenter has continued to decline. Next year is going to be his age 35 season. Some of these Cardinals mainstays, the page is turning. Do they have in the farm system right now players to keep their competitive streak going? Again, 13 straight winning seasons, postseason contenders mostly every year. Do they have enough to keep it going? Uh, just purely in the farm system, I don't know. But I also
0: don't expect that the Cardinals are ever going to be a team that relies purely on the farm system. Now, wrote about this in the prospect handbook. Their secret weapon, I don't know how secret it is, but they're one of the best things that the Cardinals have has been utterly neutered by coronavirus, which is St. Louis should not be a large revenue, high revenue market team that plays with the big boys in free agency and all that. But they do, and the reason they do is that they draw, they're usually second, third, sometimes first, they are always in the top two, three, fourth at worst in attendance, 3.3, 3.4, 3.5 million fans come through the gates at Bush stadium every year when you can come through the gates. And that revenue is what allows them to play, you know, in the, you know, to, to, to sit at the upper reaches to go acquire a Paul Goldschmidt and pay him at Paul Goldschmidt rates, you know, at, a, at, a, at, in the prime of his career, to have kept Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright throughout their careers, things like that. And so I do look at them over the next couple of years. If you said that they have to replace everyone who's getting old, have to replace Colton Wong, who you know, they, they did not you know, uh, you know, exercise his option for 12.5. If you say all of that, I don't know if they have enough to do all that. But I also do think that this is a team – That every year, if you're a Cardinals fan, you should expect that they're going to go out and they're going to add some pieces in free agency. They're going to add, they're going to trade prospects to land someone back who's more expensive in return, but also more established. And I do think that they have all those pieces because I look at, if I look at the farm systems in the Central right now, the Pirates may be better because they keep picking at the top of the draft. I mean, when you look at it, who's, Who's got a better farm system, other than that, than the uh, than the Cardinals
1: in the in the Central? do you, and certainly not the Reds, not the Cubs. Again, the Pirates, not the Brewers. Yeah, definitely not the Brewers. The Pirates. I mean, the Pirates.
0: If, if again, they, the Pirates draft a lot of high players, uh, you know, top picks.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think right right now the Cardinals have the best farm system in the Central, and that's going to give them a huge advantage over the other teams in the central it's just a matter of when it comes to contending for a world series and not just a division title again everyone's chasing the dodgers right now and their resources we have to see what happens with the east and with the mets and their new ownership but the braves aren't going away they're still a really really good team the phillies has hired dave dombrowski and whenever you hire him that tends to result in wins pretty quickly soon after so i think it's about competing in the higher tier but again I'm not going to sit here and say the Cardinals can't do it. This is a great organization. They know what they're doing. And even when they make mistakes, they've built up such an incredible talent base. They can still contend beyond that. JJ, I'm going to dive into the farm system here and talk about some of these players in a second. First, quick word from our sponsors. All right, JJ. So with these guys, because you're right, this probably is the best farm system among teams in the Central. Which, Again, the-
0: Which doesn't make it a great farm system. It just makes it better than the others in the Central. I should We should be clear.
1: What are the strengths here? Because Carlson, we've talked about ad nauseum, someone really, really good, well rounded player. The comps that I've liked, that I've gotten, Michael Conforto, Andre Ethier, really, really good players. Matthew Libertor, we've talked about his potential, still far away, but there's a lot of potential there. Take us through the rest of this group. Where are the strengths? Where are the weaknesses? What do they need to add in free agency? And who can they really count on in here?
0: A lot of bats, um, I, you know, corner bats they they've kind of invested in that pretty heavily in recent years. Obviously Nolan Gorman developing is going to be very, I would say key to kind of where this team goes, uh, you know, over the next few years, because he could be a, a power bat that, that provides a nice boost for them, but it's not just him. I mean, they, they Jordan Walker was their first round pick uh, this, this past year. I love the Mason Win pick. Who's kind of a two-way guy, a legitimate, you know, right-hander shortstop. I don't know which way he's going to end up, but, I, I, there's some corner bats, you know you talked about Carlson, and then there still are a, a significant number of arms and and some of those are far away, some of those are a lot closer. Oviedo for example, he probably wasn't ready uh you know to to be a starter for them last year, but they didn't have a whole lot of choices. you know they ran to a point with coronavirus where it was like if you're able to we're gonna use you, and maybe that's beneficial for him in the long term because. He kind of took some lumps, but kind of realizes and knows now kind of what's left to do on the to-do list. But I look at this is a team that has consistently developed arms. And I, I think that there are there there is the uh the, the the potential for more starters, definitely more relievers. I mean, we have a number of these guys who are still prospect eligible who at least got some time with them last year. I if you said up the middle, guys, there's a lot of catchers in this system you know, Herrera is a key, Yvonne Herrera is a key one because I think he's kind of the all round guy. Andrew Kisner is an interesting in that if they don't re-sign Yadier Molina, he would right now seemingly be the guy to be their everyday catcher. I don't feel like that that's, if, if I'm guessing right now, I don't think that Andrew Kisner is going to be their everyday catcher next year. I don't think that there is the confidence, you know, that replacing Yadier Molina as the everyday catcher for the Cardinals and working with a pitching staff is already going to be a very heavy, a very heavy lift for anybody to have that be basically a rookie come in and say, Hey, I'm going to do this. You're going to pale in comparison. And I I think there's obviously a good chance that Molina ends up back, you know, for his kind of swan song with the Cardinals, but there's a lot of catchers in the system. Julio Rodriguez, you have further more down the road, There's not up the middle infielders, which is surprising because the Cardinals do a really good job of developing up the middle infielders, but there's not a whole lot of those guys that I look at. That's kind of to me where the weakness is. And their other crazy thing is, is not a whole lot of outfielders anymore, which is kind of crazy because we were just
1: talking about how many outfielders they had just a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I think, again, you've talked about this. This is a team that has the money to go out and spend big. We saw them sign Dexter Fowler to a very large contract. Obviously, that has not worked out as hope. They were able to extend Paul Goldschmidt after acquiring him. We have to see what the results of the pandemic shortened season are because that is going to affect this team pretty adversely. This is a team that is very, very reliant on in-person attendance, more so than some other teams just because of their market size and how popular they are. I'm going to be curious to see what the long-term effects of that are. But all in all, you're going to expect the Cardinals to still be competitive. Again, there's a really, really, really good track record here of putting a winning team on the field. JJ, before we started the podcast, you and I talked about this. I did the Cardinals list Last two years, uh, just to give everyone kind of some background here at BA, we like to move different writers around to different teams, talk to different officials, learn new players, do different things. So pretty standard. We kind of rotate some teams every couple of years. I moved on to Cubs this year. JJ moved on to Cardinals. The last year, especially when I did the Cardinals, this was a group of prospects that were strong at the top, but there was not a lot of depth. And even Cardinals officials openly admitted that. Once you got into the number 20 to 30 prospects on their list, they were like, yeah, we just, honestly, we don't have a lot. Before this podcast started, you and I were talking, you said you really like the depth. So it seems to me that's been the biggest change year over year. And to me, the biggest reason behind that is they had seven picks in this 2020 yep. draft, even only five rounds.
0: I, I absolutely. they They didn't graduate a whole lot, but the key thing is, is that, they didn't just have jordan walker in the first round they then had mason wynn and tinkens and you this this system brought in a significant amount of uh, of really i would describe it as as pretty you know very intriguing talent um you know you have guys because you have extra picks it allows you to go jordan walker Mason, Win, Tink, hints. The reality is, is if you look at the, the track record of, of just drafts, especially when you go high school like that, someone in that group is just not going to come together like, like everyone had hoped. Maybe two. But when you have three guys like that, it has, gives you that chance that one of them ends up being a really useful, really impactful guy. I don't guarantee it's going to happen by any stretch of imagination. But if you're building your draft around T. Hence, who's a really, you know, athletic kind of best is yet to come kind of arm present velocity right now spins it really well at his best, but it's a little inconsistent at times. If you were building your draft around that, which by the way, I will note they had, I think four picks in this year's draft before they had their first pick in when you also say, why were they not as deep? They had, you know, they have the, the the Chris Correa draft where they were penalized and essentially they had to sit out the first couple of rounds of the draft and they got nothing out of that draft. Well, they had four picks this year before they had the first pick in that draft. That, make, that changes a lot, you know. And also, uh, they have kind of this very interesting guy, Edwin Nunez, who he wasn't kind of a, a prominent dude on the July 2 market. But all of a sudden you have this right-hander who's a little older, but also, you know, had had to, you know, had had age discrepancy and so had kind of been delayed in when he could sign. And he's throwing upper nineties. He's throwing a hundred. He can spin it. And the Cardinals signing him makes you immediately think of they've, they've signed these 17, 18 year olds with present stuff. Carlos Martinez, uh, Sandy Alcantara, Junior Fernandez, Alex Reyes, they've signed these guys multiple times and they've had some success with it. So he's a guy who could go from wasn't in their system until very recently to, whoa, who's this guy in a very short period of time? And these are all guys, all these guys we're talking about, Mason Wynn, Tink Hence, Edwin Nunez, guys like this, are guys who are not top 10 prospects for them right now. And on top of that, you also have the Elihuris Monteros. You have these guys who either in a normal year, would have regained their prospect status or let's be honest, the other path is, is that, okay, if El Juras Montero has a bad 2020 in a normal season, you say, you know what, that 2018 season that was really good is starting to fade pretty significantly into the background. They haven't, all these players are stuck in kind of this, this, you know, uh, hibernation almost where we don't know if those guys are going to take that step forward or not. And because of that, so you also have these other guys who they're still interesting depth, but you can't say that they're as prominent prospects as they were, but they still could be very interesting. And again, 2021 is when we'll kind of find out what they have at those players.
1: Yeah. It's interesting point you make about signing older pitchers. Alex Reyes was 18 years old when the Cardinals signed him. Sandy Alcantara was 17. It wasn't like these guys were signed freshly turned 16 on July two. So there's absolutely reason to be hopeful. And we see this a lot actually. There's a lot of players on the international market who are signing at 18 that turn out to be a lot better than a lot of the guys who are signing on July 2 at 16, which shouldn't surprise anyone. Especially pitchers. Different. Yeah.
0: Especially pitchers, because you're not projecting as much as you're basically signing present talent, which that makes sense.
1: We've talked about Carlson Libertor. Of the guys in the system, outside of Carlson Libertor, who's the most likely to be an all star? And then, second question is, who's the sleeper no one's talking about? Because the Cardinals excel in having guys who end up being way better than anyone thought they were going to be.
0: Hmm. I'm okay for for crazy All Star or for unexpected All Star. I'm going to go with Edwin Nunez. Now, that is crazy. Let me say he has not thrown a professional pitch. He is, you know, he was signed this year basically. He was pretty much the last big name to sign almost in the 2019-2020 uh, in international signing period. But I just look at the track record that the Cardinals have had with guys like that and say, if you told me that he ends up being a useful closer for them for a few years or something like that. And again, for everyone, I know that there are a lot of Cardinals fans who are frustrated with Carlos Martinez right now. But Carlos Martinez has overall had a useful career you know, for, the, for the Cardinals. Oh, extremely. Yeah, it's just, again... Fans are understandably of the moment. But if you told me that he could have that kind of career, that would be possible to me, which would put him in consideration for All-Star Games. Um, And the guy who's no one's talking about, hmm, I'm trying to think, because the thing about their system is once you get to the 21 to 30, it is more kind of, um, you know, I I would describe those as kind of role-player city Um, is it, okay, this is going to be cheating. It's not going to be what you wanted to add, you know, but I'll I'll say, if you told me that Avon Herrera, who's number four on this list. So I don't want to say that he's coming out of nowhere, but if you told me that Ivan Herrera at the, if we're talking at this time a year from now that we consider Ivan Herrera, maybe the best catching prospect in the game, assuming Adley Rushman has graduated, he's not vaulting Adley Rushman. But he has those kind of, you know, that well-rounded kind of tool set that I kept developing catchers is hard, but I look at Herrera and say, like, this is a guy, he's not a top 100 prospect right now, but if you told me that he had a good 2021 and was a top 100 prospect and maybe even a top 50 prospect by the end of 2021, that, that would not shock me in any way, shape, or form. It's not the perfect answer to your question, but I don't see a whole lot of guys. I don't want to oversell a guy in their 21 to out-of-the-list route because I don't think that most of those guys are relievers or role-player type guys.
1: Yeah, I just feel like there's always a college infielder that is a role player and he ends up being an everyday standup for the Cardinals. Look at Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond right now. Both those guys were the other eh, probably role players outside the top 10. And no, they're everyday starters on a first division team. If there's a guy who's going to be that, it's Kramer Robertson, because he's probably the best of the
0: guys who fits those criteria, you know, performer at LSU. I don't think he's going to be that guy, but he is a, you know, college middle infielder who has some track record of production. Again, I'm not throwing that on him, but he's the guy who fits that group because a lot of their, you know, their middle infielders right now are, they, they just, again, they're just thinner there than they've been in a long time, I would say.
1: I will say we've seen them go a little bit more toward high school players under new scouting director, Randy Flores, Nolan Gorman. There's a lot of promise there. Uh, they did pick Zach Thompson, college pitcher out of Kentucky. They went back to the high school route with Jordan Walker this year. It does feel like there's a lot of power. There feels like there's a lot of young talent here. I, I do feel like it is pretty balanced in the sense that you're right. There's not a lot middle infield wise, but I see some high school guys. I see some college guys. I see some bats. I see some arms. You've talked about their light on outfielders, they're light on middle infielders. There's positionally some issues, but you can find good players at the top of the system, good players at the bottom of the system. And on the whole, I do see a relatively well-rounded system in the grand scheme of farm systems. It's not like, oh, they lack bats or, oh, it's all in the lower levels, which for almost half of farm systems in baseball, you can say, oh man, something is super concentrated. It does feel like there is a little bit of well-roundedness here, even though there are some positional holes.
0: Yeah, I agree. And again, when I say I like the depth of the system, partly that comes from, we just finished, we sent the prospect handbook this week. And so we've been reading a lot of reports. And the thing that stands out to me between a deep system and a thin system is I want to have guys in that 11 to 20 range who I don't have to stretch credibility to think of this guy being a solid major league regular like in a significant role. It's not hard to find guys in 11 to 20s who you're like, if I squint real hard, I can think of that guy being a useful, you know, low leverage reliever or that guy could be a utility infielder. That guy could be a backup outfielder. The Cardinals have guys 11 through 20 on this list who I look at it and say, that guy could pitch in their rotation. That guy could, you know, Elihurst Montero could absolutely end up being, you know, Uh, A guy who hits for average, gets to his power, and is a very productive regular. Those are the kind of guys they have in their 11 to 20, and a lot of teams don't have that. And that's, to me, one of the things that does stand out with
1: them. So this has been a long way of saying Cardinals fans, take a breath. It's all good. You have a playoff team. You have a good farm system. You have a team that, again, we need to see what the financial ramifications of the pandemic are long-term, but on the whole, is able to punch above their weight market size wise in terms of payroll. There's a lot to be happy about. There's a lot to be excited about. Again, just comes back to putting a lid on some of the trade trends of recent years, but they've identified it. They've acknowledged it. They're actively working to fix it, which is all you can ask for. JJ, any final thoughts here before we wrap up? I do think again, it's going to be interesting also
0: to see the other thing we just don't know is does the rest of the Cardinals off season look like? You know, the, the two biggies is they have two guys who there are Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina are on the free agent market, but no one would be shocked if they ended up, you know, deciding to return to St. Louis and kind of finish up their careers there, which makes a very big difference when we're talking about the 2021 Cardinals, or if they don't, you know, I, I don't expect it to happen, but I, I really don't expect this to happen. But what I say is, is if Yadier Molina goes elsewhere, there aren't a whole lot of landing places for JT Rulamuto right now. <laughs> you know, again, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I don't expect that to happen in any way, shape, form. My point being, we don't know what the Cardinals are going to do. And this conversation may be very different if the Cardinals do make further moves in what has been a very quiet offseason so far?
1: Yes, we have to remember we're recording this in December. What rosters are going to look like from the time we record these until spring training opens, or even opening day, since a lot of these guys aren't even signing now until spring training starts, a lot can change. This is all very fluid, and the very least, Cardinals are going into the offseason, the playoff team with a good talent base and some promising players in the farm system. That puts them in a lot better place than a lot of other teams in major league baseball. JJ, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fun talking Cardinals. We appreciate your insight as always. Sounds good. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle a Glazer find JJ Cooper at JJ coop 36 for JJ. I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.